Well, good morning. It's so good to see all of y'all on this beautiful day. You know, it's funny the difference a couple of hours make. Uh, at our first service this morning, I welcomed to a rainy, gloomy day. So impressed that they made it. Now here we are. It's sunny and bright outside. So this worked a little bit better the first hour when I, in the midst of a gloomy day, I told them to picture this. But this is kind of where I need you to go. So if you would picture paradise for me, can you, can you get that in your mind? If you need to close your eyes, you can for a few seconds, all right? Everybody's got paradise in their mind? Okay, now here's my question for you. Is there a palm tree in your picture? Yes, head's head's nodding. Okay, there's a palm. You know, here's the crazy thing. There's a palm tree in mine too. I mean, a lot of you, you know me. I mean, like 94 times out of 100, I'm choosing the mountains. So why is there a palm tree in my picture of paradise? Why, why does my mind race to the tropics? I, I thought I would do some, um, some research on this, so I, I googled paradise. And you know the first thing I saw? What? No, no actually, actually, the first thing I saw was a music video by Coldplay on paradise. But if you scroll past that, if, if you go right past that, then the, then the next thing you see is images of paradise. And you click on that, y'all know how this works. And man, there's just pages, picture after picture. And I mean, all same thing. There's the sand, there's the beach, there's palm trees, palm trees everywhere. Does it take a palm tree to make paradise paradise? I I, I guess so. I guess so. Now here's, here's another question. Do you still have your picture? If you need to close your eyes, you can do it one more time, but this will be the last time. If your eyes are closed, like another three or four minutes, I'll send an usher to kind of you know, they're still in paradise, bring them back. Okay, in your picture of paradise, who's in it? Nah, 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 nah. Don't go put somebody in it real quick, okay, because your original picture didn't have somebody in that. Did you, was I in your picture of paradise? You know, actually, I'm kind of making a point here. Now, I don't know what's going on in your mind. I don't know what you saw. But here's my guess. When you go to picture paradise, there's nobody in it. It's a picture of a place. There's no actual who of paradise. It's just a picture, apparently, of a palm tree. You know, you know I'm, I'm, I don't know if I can really make this a point, but I'm going to use it as proof. I'm going to use it as proof that when we lost paradise, what we lost is not just a place. We lost the who. We lost the who in paradise. I want, I want to tell you a story this morning, and it's a story that really kind of comes out of, has a lot of its content from two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 3 and John 3. Remember those two chapters, Genesis 3 and John 3. If you have a bulletin, they're in there. If you don't get a bullet, didn't get one, you can get one on the way out, because I'd like you to remember those, and if you could this week spend 10 minutes, and honestly, I don't think it'll take 10 minutes, but, but spend 10 minutes and read those two chapters, Genesis 3, John 3, you'll be surprised. In those two chapters, you're going to end up with a whole lot of what the entire Bible is about. It's about what's going on, what happened in Genesis 3, and how John 3 responds to that. When you open up the first few pages of the Bible, which of course gives you Genesis 3, you are seeing the creation of paradise. Now, we don't usually refer to it as the creation of paradise. We say that's the creation of the world, the universe, God's making things. But but what he's making is paradise. It it is a, a beauty. It is a perfection, a peace, a serenity. It is, it, folks, it's a place unlike we can imagine. And I actually mean the word unlike we can imagine. I, I don't believe we can imagine it. 
I think we try to. I think we think we can. I mean, if I'm going to try to imagine paradise, I'm going to go back to that perfect vacation, that, that perfect spot we saw. That, man, I've never seen anywhere like this, been anywhere like this, the beauty, the serenity, the peace. But if you'll stop and think about what your picture of paradise is, if you'll really remember, there was a beer can laying in the sand over here. And, and, and remember in that perfect place, you had that, that little argument about whether you were going to buy that souvenir or not? Because, I mean, after all, what's vacation without a little argument? And, and, and remember, you left. And you left with bills. What's perfect about that? There's nothing perfect about leaving perfection with bills. You see, when God gives us paradise, none of that is going on. It is untainted beauty. It is pure beauty. It is, it is perfection, unlike anything we can define or understand. But it's not just a place. What makes paradise paradise is the relationship, the total lack of conflict. You know, when, when we think about that, when you see what God created, it, it starts, I think, in a place we don't even think about. When we are first seeing Adam relate perfectly, it's with animals. So we don't think about the, the perfection of relationship with, with animals, but he is in a working relationship, a, a, a relationship with these animals where he knows them so well, he can name them. He, he's that, got that kind of thing going. I mean, most we're thinking about, I just hope I don't get eaten right here. You know, no, he's in that perfect relationship. Of course, he's in a perfect relationship with, with uh, or Adam and Eve are in this perfect relationship. Paradise describes them as being one, a, 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 as being naked and unashamed. And folks, that's not just saying that, that paradise is a nude beach. That's a picture of complete and total acceptance. Can you imagine a world, and the answer is no, you can't, where there is zero anxiety about rejection? Zero fear of us finding out. See, that's what's going on between them. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to find out. There's total acceptance. And not only are they living with each other in this perfection, but they together are living with God in this perfection. You, you want to know how perfect it is? And this, this is why I'm saying we can't imagine it. This place is so perfect, even work is perfect. Now that's why I'm saying you can't imagine it because right now for you, if you're picturing paradise, work is like 2,500 miles away, isn't it? I mean, we don't ever blend work and paradise. I mean, work is what blows up paradise. Not in God's paradise. When, with what God designs, work actually belongs there. A meaningful work. Purposeful work, rewarding work. There is a joy in doing that. Now, granted, in perfection, there's no sweat and there's no weeds. Okay, there's none of that frustration that, that goes with work. Folks, this is, this is what God created. And I believe that when you and I connect to God, we can still taste that. We can experience some of that. We can kind of live in the shadow of that right here and right now. But here's the good news. We can actually return to that. One day we'll get to return to that paradise and return to all of that perfection. Now, in this paradise, there, there's a tree. that The Bible calls it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, now, before we focus on this one 
tree, I, I want you to keep in mind, God has given you, God has given me, Adam, he's given us the entire planet. I mean, I mean, the whole thing is ours, everything on it to, to enjoy, to experience, to share, to consume. Everything is a yes. But God puts this one tree here, and in this one tree, he says no. Don't, don't eat from this tree, or you will die. And there's a huge thing happening here. Can we handle... One no. Can we have this place where we acknowledge in that no that we acknowledge he's God and I'm not? And and maybe I fully understand and grasp this no, or maybe I don't, but I trust. Oh, we sang about it, didn't we? We just say the good, good father. I trust that he's good. And I and I trust his reason. Can I handle that no? Now, a lot of you know where the story's going, and we're not going to handle this no very good. And so that kind of leads to the question, why did he put the tree there? Why? I mean, isn't that just something to stumble over now? Isn't that just something to fall on? Why, why put it there? But, but the reason that tree is there, folks, goes back to a lot of, of how you and I were created. You see, we were not created. I understand a lot of the chemistry is the same, but we're not created like the birds, The fish, the humpback whale, the animals. We're not like the the sun, the moon, and the stars, and those beautiful mountains, and that wonderful ocean. We're not created like those things. Here's the big difference. You and I were created in the image of God. We were created in His likeness. He was the model that He used in creating you and me. Now that... That's a lot to unpack, and there's a lot of neat things in understanding what all is going on there and what that means. One of those things is this. You and I were created with a volition, a a will, the ability to decide and the freedom to do so. I can freely choose to go right. I can freely choose to go left. Actually, that would be backwards for y'all. I can freely choose to go left or freely choose to go right. I can freely choose to acknowledge him as God at this tree. He says no. But, but the free choice to acknowledge him as God means a freedom to not do that, right? To, to not acknowledge him. Now remember, odds are heavily stacked in our favor. He's given us everything. We're only looking at one tree on an entire planet. One tree and no. In God, infinite yeses. They chose the tree. We, you, and me chose the tree. No, I haven't seen the tree. I don't believe we can see it. I haven't been there. You haven't either. But, but everything going on in Adam and Eve when they stood there and chose that tree is going on in you and me and has gone on since we drew our very first breath. Now, a word we will use to describe what's going on in us when we said no to God and yes to the tree, just a simple word would be the word sin. And when I say the word sin, you and I, our minds kind of immediately run to the activity of sin, right? 
We, we lie, we steal, we cheat, we think things we shouldn't think, say things we shouldn't say, we, we act in ways we shouldn't, and, and so we think of these activities, these different things we call sin. But I, there's something more going on than some activity that we should or should not do. There's something more going on in Adam and Eve, going on in you and me, and the activity is just the product. The, the, the bigger thing going on is not the activity, it's the mindset, and it's what separates us all equally from God. We don't all commit the same sins, do we? Some of us commit more of this kind and less of that kind. Some of us have done that. Some of us have only done this. But see, it's not the activity. It's what's going on in the mind that leads to that activity. It was going on in that tree. And here it is. I don't need anybody telling me no. I don't need anybody placing a limit on me. Can you imagine that? The whole entire planet is mine. One tree, there's a limit. And I'm saying, you, you can't place a limit on me. Hey, I can decide what's right and wrong. I can decide what's good and bad. Hey, I can be God. I, hey, I can decide who God is. I can decide what he'll be happy with and what he'll accept. And again, all of that saying, I can be God. And in that moment, in that thought, we die. Because we choose a lie. There is a God. There is one great God. One good Father. And we rejected Him to choose to be God's ourselves. And in that, we died. We didn't physically die. We didn't get buried in that moment. We, we spiritually died. We live in a physical world. We're physical beings, right? And it's our, our physicalness that allows us to relate. We can see and hear and we can touch each other. All this physicalness we can relate. Well, we were also created spiritual to relate with God who is spiritual. So there was this part of me created so that I could see, hear and touch him. So that I could relate perfectly with him. And when I rejected him, then that part of me died and I, I became disconnected from him. But you know what? When I, when I became disconnected with him, it, just, it didn't just affect my relationship with the, the spiritual world. It also affected all of my relationships in the physical world. Now I couldn't relate perfectly anywhere. Animals are against each other and now they do eat us and we eat them and we kind of eat and claw at each other too, don't we? All of a sudden there, there, there's no perfection. There's just disconnectedness. And that disconnectedness is what results in death and war and cancer and car accidents and divorce and fear and frustration and failure and the flu. That disconnectedness results in all of that. And, and would you believe that after wrecking the house, after bra literally breaking and destroying everything, do you know what we do then? We want to talk about what we deserve. And I'm not saying you individually have ever said this or thought, but as a hum, human, as, as humanity, yeah, we do this. We talk about what we do. You know, I'll tell you what I deserve after I've wrecked the place. I deserve a second chance. I deserve to know God. I deserve to have him let me in his heaven. I deserve to have him overlook maybe some things I didn't do so well. I deserve, I deserve a chance. I, I deserve to be happy. Now, a lot of us say, well, I, 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 don't, I don't think like that. I don't think about all that I deserve, really. You ever been angry? 
in the last hour? You know what anger is? Anger is what I feel when I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm angry because God or you or some part of this planet is not providing for me, giving to me what I believe I have a right to. I deserve. (laughs) That's quite an economy we got going here, isn't it? I wreck everything and then talk about the goodness that's to come to me. You know what the, the Bible says we deserve? Condemnation. Condemnation. What, what's condemnation? Is that you're, ooh, you're a bad person. I, can, I condemn you. You did this and you, ooh, you're a, you're a horrible, bad, ugly person. No. No, that, that's, that's not condemnation. If nothing changes, you and I are spiritually dead because of that decision that we all made. Condemnation, we're we're traveling down the road in our spiritual death. Some of us are having a wild, fun, good, exciting time as we travel down the road, aren't we? And maybe some of us as we travel down the road are thinking, man, life is horrible. I'll use that word. (laughs) I mean, we're just hating life. I mean, there's all kinds of ways we travel down the road. But we're all traveling down the road, spiritually dead, on a collision course with physical death. For some people, not a whole lot. Man, that, could, that collision could happen before they turn 20 years old. And boy, it certainly happens as we start adding the years and the decades, doesn't it? We're all heading that way. Condemnation is when my spiritual death collides with my physical death. You say, why is that condemnation? Because when my physical death collides with my spiritual death, my spiritual death is now permanent. I am now eternally disconnected from God, eternally disconnected from others, never a chance to see that restored, fixed, made better. Never. The Bible actually calls that justice. So we want, we talk about the love and the goodness of God that'll just overlook what I've done and pretend. But that's not good. Does, does goodness actually pretend like wrong was not done? Does justice actually say it's, it's no big deal, it doesn't matter, I know y'all have wrecked the place, I know you've lived some portion of life pretending like you're God and ignoring the one who is, but, but, but we're just going to pretend like that's okay and that there's been no consequence, there's been no result? No, justice demands that rights that wrongs be made right. There's no such thing as love and there's no such thing as goodness that doesn't have justice. And so it is justice that our spiritual death, our free choice, collides with physical death and it becomes permanent. And that's why I think two of the sweetest words in all the Bible, but God... There's what I decided, there's what I did, there's what I deserve, but God. Ephesians 2.4 says, but God, being rich in mercy, with the great love with which he loved us. Listen to this. Even when we, this Genesis 3, John 3, it's all coming full circle. 
Even when we were dead in our sins, even when we were living in that state of rejecting Him as God, rebelling against Him as God, having the audacity to think, you know what, I think I can do this. I can decide what's right and wrong. I can make up my own rules. I'll decide what limits I have or don't have. Even in that, even when we were dead in our sins, disconnected from God, disconnected from life, He made us alive. He reconnected. He made us alive. Watch this. Together. That's a connected word, isn't it? We're we're together. You you know, here's the difference between Satan and God, as if there was just one. When Satan is moving and working, speaking into your life, it's always to isolate you. Through fear, through anger, through doubt, through hurt, he wants to isolate you. Isolate you from God, isolate you from others. You know what happened? The moment they took from that tree, the moment they ate from that tree, you know what happened? They covered up. They hid. There's something to hide now. There was shame. You know what the next thing they did? Everybody started blaming. It wasn't me, it was her. It wasn't me, it was him. It was... Think about that. When I am feeling shame, I'm pulling away from you. When I'm feeling blame, I'm pushing you away from me. Shame, I withdraw. Blame, I push. All isolation. God wants to bring us together. First and foremost with himself, but just as important with each other. God's desire is for you to be restored to to life, to be restored to others, to be restored to him. But something's got to change because we are in fact spiritually dead and we are in fact moving down a road to collide with our physical death. And the work God does has a name, Jesus. I, I want to read just a little bit about that work. I want to read from John 3. I, you know, I mentioned a moment ago, Genesis 3, John 3. Let me read just a little bit from that. I'm not going to read all of John 3. Boy, I sure encourage you to. But for this morning, just a few verses. John 3, and I'm going to begin in verse 3. It says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you. And this is huge, folks. This may be one of the biggest cliffs, the biggest earthquakes, the most profound statements made in all the Bible. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It doesn't say unless you've done at least 60% to 40% good works to bad works, you're not going to see heaven. It doesn't say if your life hasn't been measured out at least 5149 good to bad. It doesn't say unless you pick the right religion. Unless you are a really religious person as determined by your peers. It doesn't say anything about all of these things that we're all doing to get ourselves into heaven. It says, unless you have been born again, you're not going to see the kingdom. That's not, that, that, that's not a statement made by the pastor, by this church, by this denomination. If you want to dismiss that idea, understand who and what you're dismissing. There are some things that you can say, well, that's what that church believes. There are some things you can say, well, that denomination holds to that. But folks, that's the words of Jesus right there. A little beyond the time we have in this sermon, but there is tremendous evidence for the historicity, the veracity, the accuracy that what we're reading here 
is in fact what the Apostle John wrote. And he is in fact quoting Jesus. When Jesus said, if you're not born again, you're not going to paradise. You're not going to see the kingdom of God. You're not going to go anywhere near it without being born again. Now, he says that. And, and not all of us, a lot of us, we're church folk. We've been around that word. But if you'll stop and think about born again, those are two words we don't really use anywhere else, do we? You, you don't use those in any other conversation. You don't use those in, in any other ideas. And guess what? What is a little bit awkward or weird for us to think about today? Apparently it was 2,000 years ago. Because when Jesus says that, he's in conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. And you know what Nicodemus said when he said, you need to be born again? He said, that's a little weird. Matter of fact, that's, that's a little bit creepy. He said, that's what Nicodemus said? Well, not quite like that, but listen to what he said. And I think you'll agree it's the exact same thing. What does he say? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Because if that's what you're saying, that's just a little weird. Because if that's what you're saying, that, that's just a little creepy. Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he kind of repeats himself. But then he starts to explain, and it's interesting. I think Jesus takes this on as like, okay, let me walk you through this. One plus one is two. Now, being born again would not be a one plus one plus equals two statement, but that's kind of how he explains it. He says, okay, let me go slow here. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Okay, now flesh is a word used a lot of times, our body, our physical life. So he's saying, that which is born physically... Okay, when you had a physical birth, you began a physical life. That brought you in relationship to physical parents. You can now do things of physical value. So you got that. You've had this birth, and that kind of results in all of these other things. But go back to Genesis 3. While you're physically alive, you're spiritually dead. That part of you needs to come alive again. That part of you needs to be reconnected to God. You've got to have another birth. You've got to be born again. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now you need to have a spiritual birth that brings you into relationship with a spiritual father that gives you spiritual life. And now you can begin to do things that have spiritual value to them. And again, Jesus kind of has this. This is one plus one because he says in verse seven, do not marvel, don't be astounded, don't go, oh my gosh, I've never heard this. He said, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now that would, I would think, leave almost anyone with, well, how does that happen? Or, or, or when does that happen? And there's a, a, a long conversation going on here with Jesus and Nicodemus. Let me, let me skip past some of that, and I want to jump down to verse 16. For, uh, John 3, 16. You've seen it at the football games, the guy with the rainbow hair, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Okay, God loved. Whatever we're about to read, the motive for that was God loving. And what did he do? He gave. His love motivated him. To, you know, it doesn't say anywhere in Scripture. I wonder, did God, does he, does he have some of the same problem we have when it comes to giving? Did he, man, is this going to be worth it? Is this going to add up? Does this pay off? I don't know, this is mine. Well, they don't deserve it anyway. <laughs> you know what? Nowhere in Scripture does it imply that God was struggling or working through or he did this begrudgingly. It just said, man, he loved so much. And that love moved him 
To do what? To do a work in a state of people who've done nothing but reject and rebel. And so that love moved him that he gave his only son. That whoever, I love whoever because it doesn't leave anybody out. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, you are a whoever. There is nobody that is disqualified, has zero chance at being born again. Whoever believes in him, believes. Now that, that word believe can really be kind of a simple word. I, yeah, I, I believe. I believe there's a God. His name's Jesus? Sure, why not? I, that, that sounds good. I'll go with that. I'll believe that. Is, is that what belief is? Or is there something more going on in that word? I, I kind of tend to think it, there's, there's something more. The, the Bible uses a word I think goes kind of hand in hand in belief. It's Repent. It's, I've got to change. I think what's happening here in John 3.16 is there needs to be a change in what I believe in. Because I tell you, as we're moving down the road of life, what we all believe is that I'm God. I'm God. I can decide what I want. I believe in the tree. I believe in the opportunity of the tree that I can be God and I can decide. I need to stop believing that. I need to believe that God is God and His name is Jesus. And I need to believe that if he wants to set limits, it's because he's good. And I will trust those limits and I will obey those limits and I will follow him in those limits. I'll let him determine what is right and good, what, 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 is, what is good for me to do. I will believe that in him is life, not in me being God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever believes in him will not have that collision between their spiritual death and their physical death. But instead, they'll have eternal life. Instead, they'll be restored to living forever with God, with others in paradise. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus here to show you what a bad person you were and tell you you're, hug, you're ugly, you're mean, you're horrible. Why would, why would heaven want you? Why would, why would God be interested in you? Look how, look how un, unlike my father you are. He didn't send here, it, it, God didn't send him here to condemn us. Okay? Let me read it again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You know what being saved is? It's being rescued from that collision. I am on a collision course with my physical death. And Jesus stepped in. Imagine two cars, if you will. One is my spiritual death and, and the other is my physical death. And Jesus stepped in between those. He took on my physical death. You see, God's love has a cost to it. Justice has a cost to it. When Jesus came into this world, he didn't come just to show us God and teach us God's stuff. He went to that cross. And on that cross, he died. The death that was yours, the death that was mine. There was a moment in that physical death where he experienced what he had never experienced, the spiritual death. I believe that's the moment that he cries out, my God, my God. There was a rip there was a schism in the Godhead, a separation like, like never understood. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, everything that rightly belonged to you landed on him. As a man, he could die. And as God, he could defeat it. 
as God, he could recover from it. He came into this world to fulfill justice and love. And he stepped in front of the collision that belonged to you and me so that when you and I go through that physical death, it's not making permanent our spiritual death. It's making permanent he's my father. He is my good, good father. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now listen to this. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Did you hear that word already? Folks, think about it. I wonder how much of humanity knows there's a judgment day out there. As a matter of fact, I would suggest all of humanity knows it. And we're all dealing with the anxiety of, of going before this moment, going before this God. I think he's angry. I think I'm in trouble. I think I've messed up. Now, some people might choose a path of atheism. You know how I'm going to handle that day? I'm going to say it doesn't exist. I'm going to pretend like it's not there. There's no God there. There's nobody I have to answer to. There's, there's nothing I have to speak for. I'm just going to, that's how I'm going to deal with the anxiety of this. It doesn't exist. The rest of us, a lot of us, oh no, I believe it exists. I believe there's a God out there. I believe he's angry. I got to rustle me up a religion. I got to rustle me up a religion that'll tell me the good things that I'm supposed to do and the things that are going to clean me up so that I can get ready to go and stand before this God and find out, did I do Enough. What a tricky word. Do you know there's no religion that tells you what enough is? What, what's enough? 60-40? You're 60% good, only 40% bad? Can you get by with 51-49? What, what, what's enough? So we, you know, we're kind of anxious. I'm, is it going to measure out? Is this going to turn out okay for me? Do you realize what Jesus just said? Stop worrying. Don't need to be anxious. Done deal. You're already condemned. Pick your religion. Pick your good deeds. You're still spiritually dead. Do all your good deeds in your spiritual death. Do all your religious activity in your spiritual death. You're still spiritually dead. You are condemned already. The only thing we're waiting on is when that spiritual death collides with the physical death and it just becomes permanent. Or... You stop believing in the tree. <laughs> stop believing that I can do this. And we believe in Jesus. And we're born again. Jesus came into this world and he went to that cross and he conquered sin and death so that you could be born again. He did something that you and I have no power, no wisdom, no ability to bring about in our lives, our own birth. You can't bring your own birth about physically and you can't bring your own birth about spiritually. But God in his love brings it about for you. Will you believe? You know, that whole question, you have to, or that statement, you have to be born again, it kind of demands the question, doesn't it? Have I? Ha ha have I been born again? Let me ask you a question. Could you, and I'm not asking you to, don't want you to right now, but could you? Could you turn to the person next to you, either direction? Could, could you have a conversation at work with somebody this week or a, a, a friend at school? Could you look at somebody and say, hey, I want you to know something. I have been born again. I am a child of God. I am an heir of heaven. Now, you might be thinking, can, 
Can anyone say something that confidently about eternal life in the future like that? I mean, is that arrogant? You know what? It's arrogant if you think eternal life and being right with God is based on something you're going to do. Because if I say I'm certain, basically what I'm saying, look at me, look what a good life I live. I know I'm a done deal. I know how good I am. Well, yeah, that, that would actually be arrogant. That wouldn't sound right. But see, when I say I know, it's because of my faith not in who and what I am, but a faith in who and what God is and what he's already done. First John 5.13 says, I have written these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. Not that you can really, really hope. Not that you can be pretty certain Not so that you can have good faith. I've written this to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Folks, it's the word of God. It's God who holds out to you a certainty, a security, a confidence that you've been born again. Do you have questions about that? Fears about that? Know that you're not. You know what Jesus said? He said, today is the day of salvation. He never says yesterday is the day of salvation. Wouldn't that be bad news? Yesterday, shoot, I missed it. He also never says tomorrow is the day of salvation. Now, we usually take that idea and say, because you could die tonight, right? You go home, you don't take advantage of the day, you go, you could die tonight. Well, you know what? I mean, <laughs> that is true. It does happen. People do die on Sunday evening. But odds are you're not. Odds are you're probably not. Go- I mean, you're going to die sometime, but good chances it's not going to be today. But you know what? That statement, tomorrow is not the day of salvation. That, that's not just a statement of you may or may not die. Folks, who knows where we're going to be tomorrow? As we travel down the road of life, sometimes we come to a moment, a door, an opportunity. And in that moment right there, I was in just the right spot. Emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, physically. Tomorrow, will I be in that same spot? Will I have that opportunity? I've got no guarantee of tomorrow. I've got no ability to define and shape tomorrow. It'll do what it'll do. I think both of these is why Jesus says today, you're here right now, physically, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, right here, right now, today is the day of salvation. Listen, in just a second, we're going to stand and sing. And a lot of times when we we finish, we just just exit. But today we're going to sing another song. We're going to worship the God who raised us to life. We're going to worship one more time the the God who created for us an opportunity to be born again. And and when our congregation stands and sings, there's going to be pastors down here at the front. And I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. If you're here today, you're not certain that you've been born again. Not quite sure. Maybe you know you're not. Maybe you've got questions about it. I want to encourage you. Take a step of faith. There's something mentally, emotionally going on in you right now. Put something physical, movement With it, take a step of faith. Come forward, tell one of these pastors, I want to be born again. Now, I know what's going on in the room at this moment, at a time like this. I mean, first of all, we're thinking, man, I think I should do that. But I don't know, what are people going to think? Are they going to think what's wrong with him? Are they going to think, what did I do last night? You know what, folks, by and large, you're surrounded by people in a room that have been born again. 
And when they see people moving forward, we don't think, what did they do? We think, how exciting. Look at God go. Look at God work. Look at God bring people to life. That's what we think at, at a moment like this. And you say, yeah, but I'm right in the middle of the row. I'll have to hop like over 15 people to get to the aisle and get down here. Hey, let me tell you something. And some of you have heard me say this before. If you have to tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, I need to, to get out and I need to go down. I'm going to step out on a limb and say that's the most exciting thing they'll do today. Is slide out of your way so you can come forward. And when you get down here, I want, I want you to know what's happening. When, when you get down here, you're... you're you can tell pastor, hey, I'd, I'd like to talk to somebody or I'd, I'd like to be born again. And you know what? They're going to have a quick word of prayer with you because we just want to rejoice and praise God what he's doing in your life. However, that might end up today. Hey, he, he did something to bring you to that spot. And, and then we're going to put you with a counselor. That's, that's a person just like you that's kind of been trained and prepared for this moment to just do this, to just kind of answer your questions and walk with you through that and let you see what that process looks like. Let me tell you what I don't want to happen. I don't want you to get to the car. I don't want you to wake up tomorrow and go, what, what did I just do? Why did I, did I just fall into some kind of emotional trap? Did I just get tricked? What just went on there? Oh, I want you to understand what went on here. I want you to have a chance to answer your questions. To make sure you're seeing, you certain, not, not what we say, but what, what God's word says. Would you take that step of faith? Would you come down here and tell one of these pastors, I want to be born again and fulfill God's desire for you that today be the day of salvation. As our congregation stands and as we begin to sing, pastors are going to be down here. You be the first one. Meet us down here. Come down here. Take that step of faith and be born again today.